Hello and welcome to episode 92 of The Winning Agenda. Tonight our panelists include the best the best dressed man in Netrunner and 2016 and 2015 top 8 competitor Holoseco. Hey guys, what's up? And our favorite Bioroid and 2015 regional champion Wilfred E. Horrig. You sound different today, Brian. And I'm your host, Brian Holland. No, I'm actually not. Um, I feel terrible. Um, I am standing in the shoes of the great man today. I'll be your host, Jesse Marshall. Um, Brian Holland has been struck down with a bout of full moon fever, which is uh, <laughs> unfortunately all too common for his kind. So he won't be able to join us tonight. Um, also, his microphone, which he specially went out and purchased after his last microphone uh, conked out in the middle of our last recording session, hasn't worked. So poor old Brian couldn't make it along tonight, and he sends you all his love. In fact, I'm sure he's going to edit his love into this episode in post-production. So there you go. <laughs> um, tonight, we're going to be talking about 23 Seconds, the latest data pack. Uh, in fact, the first data pack in the Flashpoint cycle and the first data pack designed by a new lead developer, Damon Stone. The first card in the pack is System Outage. It's an event, current, cost one, influence two. This card is not trashed until another current is played or a gender is scored. Whenever the corp draws one or, more, one or more cards, he or she loses one credit if it is not the first time he or she has drawn cards this turn. It's uh, an Anarch card. Hollis, what do we think? Uh, what do we think? Um, I think that versus a, especially like a, a deck like maybe NEH, before, um, before they actually start scoring agendas out, this could, actually, this could actually end up being oppressive and help get the credits down. But, you know, overall, I'm really not impressed too much by this. I think that, you you know, it's better placed in those, like, oppressive Anarchs, uh, Anarch decks that we had seen where, um, you know, they were running, like, two Siphon, and they would basically just recur that Siphon over and over, and they maybe combo stuff like Lamprey uh, and Vamp. Uh, this just helps keep, the you know, the, the Corpse credit score low, and then as they start to rebuild that economy, it kind of helps to bring them back down again. Um, I almost feel like, however, you know, with current cards that are released, Corps have a lot of answers to even operate at a fairly low credit uh, credit number, so I think this card may actually be a little worse than it could have been, roughly like then compared to like maybe six uh, to eight months ago. Um, mm. Wilfie, does this remind you of Browbeat, Gorman Drip, or both? Um, well, I, I don't know what that first card is, um, but Gorman Drip, uh, yes, not so much actually. I think the main difference between this and Gorman Drip is that if you're trying to keep the runner low on credits, then you're expecting their most common action to be to take credits because that's the best way to recover some of the advantage that keeping the corp on zero credits gives you. Like, for the corp, that's mm -hmm. the best counterplay for the corp. But, yep. so why, like, and in that situation, Gorman Drip is the best because they're gaining credits, you're gaining credits to hopefully get a huge burst of credits to win in the period where they're low. Whereas this, I can't see how this card would be useful if you actually are trying to keep them low in credits because presumably they don't need cards. They have enough cards. They don't want to introduce more agendas. They just want to get credits and stabilize until they can start doing something with all the cards that they have in their hand. So I really... Like, you can play it to get a small amount of resource advantage if 
the corp but to do that you would need the corp to be okay drawing cards and giving and losing credits which means that their economy is probably okay the way it is so i find it really perplexing so yeah so in those situations where they where you're trying to keep the low on credits it doesn't help to keep them lower on credits is what you're saying yeah is that right if your game plan is actually working effectively the card does nothing right so is it therefore going to be better in decks that are um just trying to slow the corp down a little bit like like hollis mentioned initially when he was talking about this is this sort of an anti neh card that's just gonna punish them for the value that they're getting from their id ability is that sort of the best use for it yeah i think so but there are already lots of cards which do similar things fill in similar slots like hacktivist or employee strike i mean Mm. not just because they cost one in our occurrence but because they're cards that you put in your deck that don't directly contribute to your game plan that disrupt the corp in some way that exist only for a short period of time in the game Mm. and this is almost the reverse well it's not the reverse it has a similar drawback to um sorry what's the wayland current housekeeping uh yeah housekeeping it's got a similar drawback to housekeeping in that if they want to draw cards they can just draw them all on one turn and then only take the punishment once but it's worse than housekeeping because it doesn't punish them the first time they do it. So it's sort of the worst of both worlds. Yeah, I see what Does you mean. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think, like... how No, it's actually, I think... Yeah, that is right, but it's the comparison, I think, is a little more complicated than that because with housekeeping, you want to have lots of cards and then play lots of cards on one turn, which means you need to spend quite a lot of time... Like, you need to draw cards and play... You want to draw cards on one turn and play cards on one turn, right? You don't want to split them. Whereas this, you only want to... This doesn't have both of those drawbacks. Like... Yeah, housekeeping chokes their hand size in the meantime until they go for that install turn, whereas this doesn't really interact with them in the meantime. Yes, this only punishes them when they choose to draw cards, as opposed to housekeeping where if they want to play cards, they have to... um, they want to ideally play all their cards on one turn, which means they need to have a high hand size, which means they need to draw cards all on one turn. All right. Uh, the next card is Null, Whistleblower. It's an identity natural, link zero, deck 45, influence 15. It's another Anarch card. Once per turn, when you encounter a piece of ice, you may trash one card from your grip. If you do, that ice has minus two strength for the remainder of this run. So, Hollis, another of your world champion cards has been released here um how do you feel about the way that it finally ended up compared to your initial design i think that based on the design of Noel, they it's very clear that he at least works out five days a week um he probably focuses day one very much on his check uh chest uh triceps and his back so you can tell from the broad shoulders that his workout regimen is pretty intense mm. um they also made him taller than i expected i'm a shorter guy i'm five six so i was hoping they would mm. make his height under six feet to make sure that it wasn't too too you know far ahead of the curve but i'm fine with this who doesn't want their you know alter, their other alter ego to be a much you know better version of themselves and his haircut clearly is 300 dollars, so I, i'm totally down um and on the ability oh um yeah i guess i should get to that so uh i i don't like it as much as i thought i did i i think that he's I feel like his ability is really more or less suited to work with the Anarch Fixies, right? So we're talking, we're talking Mimic and we're talking uh, Yogg because those cards, you know, Mimic is a staple that we've seen uh, in a lot of decks, regardless of faction. Um, and of course, Yogg isn't played nearly as often because it's been added to the most, the most wanted list. Now, we know that's been added because of design choices, but 
Um, Noel kind of extends something similar to uh, uh, the ability that Faust has uh, to really any icebreaker that you uh, any icebreaker that you have. Um, the ability only works on like a one per turn basis. But when we look at combining that with cards like Data Sucker, uh, cards like Net Ready Eyes, um, and even another card that is in this pack that we'll talk about later. Um, it's very easy to see that like Anarch Fixies could, you know, be the new go-to as far as the way Anarch decks are built. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if it necessarily means we play less Faust, but it does definitely mean that cards like y'all, cards like uh, Mimic, get a bit more bang for their buck, and you kind of extend that ability out from Faust to boost, to boost or in this case, uh, lower the strength of Ice you're encountering to make it easier to break. So I, I actually really dig it. So Wilfie, um are we going to see this uh, pseudo fast uh, fixed strength breaker stapled ability uh, working in the meta, or is, are people just going to play fast instead of this card? Do you think? I'm not sure. I think that the main advantage to this is that it strengthens, as you said, your data sucker rig by not requiring you to have data sucker counters to run. Like you can run with just mimic yog Kuroda and a data cycle with no counters or a data cycle with some counters and not have to worry about cyber decks and you can like basically make that sort of engine go much further than you could with only data cycle but I'm not really sure if that's the kind of thing Anarch wants really just because the fixed strength breakers are strong but I mean even if we take out the elephant in the room Faust if we just ignore that for now I think Anarch's main weakness is in a finding the cards you want to find early fixed strength breakers don't really help this but the identities that are good kind of do either by letting you find cards more quickly or slowing the corp down and this i think doesn't really do either of those two things it's okay at slowing the corp down in combination with parasite but not as much as wizard or valencia i think in that in in different ways and so i think that the main strength is kind of the main strength in that it makes your breakers better when you already have all of your breakers which is what the fixed strength suite does is not really well placed at the moment and especially since fixed strength breakers are already kind of not as good as Faust in most situations hmm interesting uh, GPI NetTap is the next card it's a Criminal hardware, install cost three, influence two. Whenever you approach a piece of ice, you may expose it. You may then trash GPI net tap to jack out. Wilfie, what do you reckon? Uh, so it's kind of like a snitch, except the good part about snitch is that you get to use it in combination with our revoir to jack out every turn. Uh, or, you know, to continuously jack out and get your credits from our revoir. And so this is actually more like a fairy that doesn't get you through a server. And I think even Fairy nowadays is maybe just because of the way Criminal is going in the sense that they haven't printed any good cards for 12 months, but the way uh, things are going, Fairy is, I think, already at the lower end of the power curve. And so Mm. a card which kind of replaces Fairy but doesn't even let you get through the ice, it's kind of like Nero in that respect, really doesn't make me want to spend three credits on it. So the, the value of runs early in the game used to be quite high when you could hit three-pointers reliably in R&D and when the corp had less economic options to recover. But I think 
scrims generally have been suffering, as you're saying, from the fact that runs are far less likely to be that impactful now because of things like Global Food Initiative, but also things like Mumba Temple that allow corps to recover economically. So relying on something like Fairy or this for a one-off effect, as you're saying, doesn't seem like it's really going to cut it, particularly for three to install. Quite steep, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, if you compare it to Fairy, you could see that it's the power level is easily not there. Yeah. Hollis, any thoughts? Um, really, the only thing I have to add is that they made the card even worse by not allowing it a true, like, trash-paid ability. So at the very least, it would trigger with, like, Geist. In this case, it's unique. It's almost in that, um, it's that councilman wording where it doesn't trigger with Geist's ability, so you have a separate piece of hardware now that doesn't even combo with, um, you know, another card that I, you know, to, I guess to give the card a little bump as far as how, how useful it could be. Oh my god. Uh, wait, so... I, I don't know if I read it correctly. When you approach it... So that's before they res it, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, it's even worse than I thought. I thought it was like they res it and then you jacked out. And then you can yeah, jack but out. But no, yeah. this... It's... Uh, I mean, just keep the last bit because... But it, yeah, it's just... Now it's much, much worse. Yeah. I mean, it... it I, I don't know. I think that in any scenario where I would ever want to expose ice... Um, we have another card. So that seems to be a common thing for this pack, at least. There's another card now that kind of has that effect that's a little better. And I don't know. If, if my entire strategy depended on me jacking out, I think I would just maybe run the snitch or, you know, something like that. Not this, however. I don't think I would ever really play this. I don't see a reason to. Cool. Uh, the next card is Hernando Cortez. It is a resource connection installed to Influence One Criminal. If the corp has at least 10 credits, as an additional cost to res each piece of ice, the corp must spend credits equal to the number of subroutines on that ice. Hollis? Uh, how interesting. Um, it's a unique card. So, I mean, you, you definitely can't double stack these, but I'm not sure this really does a whole heck of a lot. We, we live... Punishing rich corps? Yeah, but it's... I feel like the majority of the time, the, the, the two... The two factions that stand out the most here as far as a rich corp would be maybe um, Jinteki, maybe like Polina Foods, and Wayland. I think those are the decks that I more commonly see consistently have 10 or more credits. Um, we all know that, you know, NBN decks, at least for the time being, seem to be operating under, um, you know, at a very low credit amount in general because they're trying to uh, fast advance as quickly as possible. So having 10 credits is pretty uncommon. And I almost feel like if they have more than 10 credits, they usually have quite a bit more than 10. And so the additional tax um, doesn't happen as often as you may think. Like, for example, in the scenario where I have 13 credits or maybe even uh, like 12 credits as an example, and I want to res an Itchy, um, Itchy's five. So all of a sudden now Itchy becomes an eight res card. Yeah, that's kind of a hard sell. I may not want to pay eight credits to res Itchy. But what it does do is it means that if I do res Ichi, right, it puts me now, I've been taxed, and now my credit score or my credit ceiling is low enough now where maybe the next ice behind it, I'm not overtaxed on it. I guess you could also look at it as like an Eli. If I have 12 credits and I res Eli, well, now I'm at 9, and then, um, or sorry, no, I would be at a 7, and now resing Ichi is still possible. 
I don't know if this effect is necessarily good enough. It is interesting. I, I think this is, to me, something I would need to see in practice first to give a true, true good opinion of it. Because it just seems like it's uncommonly not going to be as useful as I think it is. Any thoughts, Wolfie? Uh, yeah, I'm just going to take the opposite approach and junk it immediately. I just think that the average case for this card is that it's not going to have an effect on the game. Like, I can't see a situation, really, where you play this card and then your opponent's plans just unravel. Uh, how about in a in a meta that's full of Operation Econ? I mean, our, our meta's sort of shifting towards that now with the prevalence of Wizards. So you've either got decks that are going full-on assets to try and out-asset Wizard, which mm-hmm. is a lot, or you've got Operation Econ. For those Operation, Operation Econ decks, they tend to burst out at the start of the game. Could this sort of card, if you can get it out early, um, make it uh, upset their economy enough that they can't wrestle their ice and score out quickly enough? I just can't really see in what situation that happens. If you're playing this, I assume, like, do you think this is better in a... If you're playing this in a fast deck, then yep. the... Um, firstly, paying two to install, then you're planning to keep the corp low on money, presumably, or, like, pressure their servers so that when they're low on money, you can press some advantage that you gain from playing cards which set you up quickly right Mm. and so in that situation this card is like might it will hurt them once probably once or twice if they raise some ice but Mm. because you're forcing them to interact with you early their most of their resources are going to be spent trading with yours anyway you know by play most of their resources early are going to be spent um putting ice on their centrals and setting up a remote if they can so this card, I think, won't really work because 10 is so many for a corp to have in that situation. So, Could it support a, a more mid-range strategy or particularly a mid-range crim strategy that's relying on sort of siphons and multi-access in the mid-game? Because if a corp is deliberately keeping themselves below 10, your siphons become a lot more potent. Um, and if you're saving up for multi-access runs, um, then the corp may be expecting to be able to res two pieces of ice in one turn because you've given them a bit more time to build up? Yes, maybe. I Yeah, I would say definitely that's... The, it's a combination with Siphon is the one saving grace, I guess, kind of, because it de- I de- definitely don't think it goes in slow decks because by the time you actually force them to res ice, the um, ability is basically irrelevant, I think. Mm. Um, but I don't know. I don't really think... If you do want a card to work in those kind of decks, having it be a resource is the worst. A resource that you want to stay in play for most of the game is kind of the worst situation. It seems like if you're trying to do that, you're kind of hoping to have one turn where you land your two siphons or something, and then from there, hope the corp can't ever do any- come back from that. And mm. like, I don't see where this card really helps in that, because basically the problem is that for this to be good, you have to be pressuring their servers... So to force them to res ice, but if you're forcing them to res ice, they're very likely to not be above 10 credits because mm-hmm. they're trying to advance their game, pl- game plan as well. So I, I think those two things are incompatible. 10 feels like quite a high floor, doesn't it? Like it feels like it could have been seven or eight, but like eight even would be quite strong because there are a lot of ice that cost eight, whereas there's not many that cost 10. It just—it almost feels like ten was just kind of chosen because 
again, I guess there's another card in this pack that uh, kind of has the same wording on it with the same condition. And so they kind of chose it as the universal, like, it, this is the universal requirement for cards that fit in this, like, in this design space that we're working with. And I'm not sure that makes it better or worse. Probably makes it worse. The next card is Mirror. It's a Shaper console uh, hardware. Install cost three, influence three. It gives plus two memory. And whenever you make a successful run on R&D, you may replace one spent recurring credit. That's whenever. It's not the first time each turn. And it's got the console text. What do we think of this, Wilfie? Um, so the first thing that comes to mind is it's kind of... If in the best case scenario, it's a Shaper Desperado, which I think is a fairly high ceiling for a card. That's if Shaper got a card which supported runs as much as Desperado did for criminals, then that would herald, uh, I think, the advent of a new strategy entirely. Um, but and it costs three, and it gives two. Yes, memory. yes. So yeah. it's better in some respects, worse in others. But you yeah. know, it has some drawbacks. The first is that usually you want to you don't want it's not that common that you make multiple runs on R&D the two common things I can think of are with indexing or against Jacksons and even against Jacksons doesn't happen that much nowadays so mostly with indexing um, so for this card to be effective you need to use the recurring credit run on R&D and then use the recurring credit again so kind of forcing you to make so many runs or you know you can use the credit during the run on R&D and then attack another server but then like kind of the last time you use it to refresh a recurring credit it doesn't get you anything unless you're going to use that recurring credit on something else so I'm just not sure how those kind of things can come together to formulate a strategy like people have suggested playing it with prepaid but prepaid is kind of I wouldn't recommend playing it nowadays. So I can't see how you can very easily get to enough uh, cards with recurring credits to get around that drawback that it's just very awkwardly timed to have to refresh a recurring credit and then not be able to use it that turn or have to use it somewhere you don't really want to use it to get full Mm. value. Yeah, so that comes down to the value of a recurring credit versus the value of a potential credit gained from Desperado. So you've got the limitation that it only triggers on R&D, and then the limitation that it gives you these credits that are less valuable because they were going to refresh anyway on your next turn. So you're only getting benefit out of it if you spend it during this turn. Um, That being said, like you said, indexing is a card, um, and this definitely supports that. It, it also allows shapers to maintain R&D pressure whilst also maintaining the ability to run on a remote. Um, and one of the drawbacks of the stealth rig definitely is that on key turns, you often have to make a choice about where you want to run and you're often limited by stealth credits. So being able to run R&D, check to see if you can find the win there. And if you can't still be able to potentially get into that remote where they've installed the agenda can be a really really important thing and in that situation the recurring stealth credit is actually worth more than a normal credit um so i can definitely see situations particularly in stealth decks where this is this ability is going to be really relevant um and very good and the plus two memory in those decks to be able to host an extra cloak is also really really important so for three to install uh 
and with those two relevant abilities, I can definitely see this seeing some play. I think it is quite a bit better than Maya because it doesn't have such a big drawback as what taking a tag is in the current metagame and the associated cost of removing it and instead gives you sort of a, a small to potentially very large and impactful economic benefit. Hollis, any thoughts? Um, I think that when you're, you know, when you're choosing to add this to the deck, right, like you said, you're, Jesse, you're the, in my opinion, you're the king of the, of the stealth, of the stealth game. But um, I do think still you kind of have to fight to determine if you would like Astrolab a little bit more than Mirror. This is definitely going to be great, you know, for that stealth deck. But I kind of feel like um, even if you build the stealth deck, Astrolab, given the current game where you have, uh, it's so many assets, Astrolab can easily turn into, you know, five, anywhere between five to ten free draw, you know, free off-click draw, uh, uh, draws during the game, which... And cards are really sweet. Yeah, cards are really, really good. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, um, you, you definitely need to be all in on that stealth strategy, and you've got to be making the R&D runs to make this truly, truly beneficial uh, versus a card like Astrolab. But I do think it's good. I think that um, a stealth rig will use this, uh, I guess, in Kate, because that's, the, you know, it's the best shape ID we have. Um, and uh, I think someone will make a great use out of this deck using Mirror, for sure. Cool. Uh, next card is Die V. It is a, or Die 5, I'm not sure. Um, it's a program, Icebreaker AI, New Shaper AI. Install cost 6, Memory 1, Strength 1, Influence 3. Two credits, break all subroutines, presumably on a piece of ice. Use this ability only by spending credits from stealth cards. One credit. Plus one strength. Wilfie, what do you think of this? Is it efficient enough to be better than Atman, despite the fact that not many people are playing Atman these days? But is it a, is it a good AI breaker? Mm, I'm very skeptical about this card, just because the ideal situation for a support AI breaker, that is an AI breaker that you want to use to break some ice, not like everything like you do with Faust, is that you can SMC for it, and it can break ice that not very many of your other icebreakers can break. And it can also do it in a way which leaves you with a breaker that is f- fairly good at supporting your rig in the sense that you you probably, you hopefully don't need to... Well, you might use it again, right? After that one emergency situation, you presumably want to try and get some more Yeah, value. exactly. Hopefully, hopefully you don't need to then use yet your three primary breakers as well as this. So, um, in that situation, I think the the six install cost is okay. That's probably comparable to Atman in most situations. Atman's yeah, Atman for four yeah is one more, and that's the most common thing to Atman for, the most common number to Atman for, I think. And so, but the fact that it starts on one strength, and then you have to pay to pump it, and then pay to break subroutines just makes me think like you want to get it when you can't get other icebreakers to break ice efficiently but it requires a hit lots of regular credits and b lots of stealth credits and you if you already have lots of regular credits and lots of stealth credits what purpose does this card like solve i understand that you can use it to replace multiple regular breakers but i don't really see the strength of the kind of slowish shaper stealth decks to be that you only need one breaker to break lots of ice. I think that it's more, by far the bigger strength is that you get a rig that might take a while to set up, but can get through 
um, basically whatever the corp has in a very efficient manner. And this is kind of the opposite of doing that. It's kind of good once, but not good for multiple ice in one turn. To me, this is almost uh, um, a killer exclusively. Like, it, plus you get a small additional benefits like being able to break Mother Goddess, which stealth decks can struggle with if they don't have an AI option. So you've got Mother Goddess and you've got Tour Guide. I think those are the two cards that I do see played sometimes that when I play my stealth rig, I sort of wish I had an Atman to deal with those. And this deals with Tour Guide particularly much, much better than Atman does, um, or certainly better than Dagger does, because you get to break all subroutines. And against those, uh, you know, horizontal asset decks when the tour guide has 15 subroutines and you uh, need to get through because it's on R&D, being able to break all of them for two credits is really sweet. Outside of tour guide though, the numbers on this, it, it sort of annoys me that you don't get the stealth benefit of being able to pump efficiently. So the, the good stealth breakers are really all the stealth breakers that are played you know, refractor pumps for three strength for one credit, dagger for five, and switchblade for seven, is it? Um, for one stealth credit, whereas this, you're paying normal credits, and you're only getting plus one strength. So that's, that frustrates me. Then your stealth ability, which you'd assume would be more powerful, is sort of a switchblade type ability, but two stealth credits is so much more than one stealth credit for getting through one piece of ice. Um, you know, you can't really get more than three realistically from cloaks, well, because you can't have more than three cloaks in your deck, um, which means that past the first piece of ice, you're already eating into your ghost runners um, or requiring the other hardware support, depending on the type of ice that you're running into. And you, you really can't afford to pay the influence in Shaper to run silences and uh, what's the fractal one? Um, Dyson Fractal Generator, is it? Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. That's it. Um, yeah, you, you can't afford... I, whatever that card is, you can't afford to be playing all of those cards no. just to support your divey so that you don't run out of um, influence. I don't think. I mean, maybe you can. Maybe that's a deck that's worth going all in on. Um, and then having the other stealth breakers just to back you up in case you run into AI hate. But against something like Itchy, this is almost good enough. I mean, it costs three normal credits and two stealth credits as opposed to Dagger, which costs you one stealth credit and three normal credits. So it's broadly similar but then you just sort of say well why aren't i just using my dagger to break it if the answer is because you've got dive in you don't have to go and get your dagger that makes sense except for the fact that again you need so much other support in play in terms of that extra hardware and your three cloaks just to really think about getting through a two ice server it sort of becomes a bit redundant and you sort of say well i'd rather just have my three normal breakers in play so aside from the tour guide and mother goddess example i don't think this really stacks up um but you know, if you wanted to try and jam in all of the one-cost stealth hardware and give it a go, um, more power to you and maybe Wait, it'll they, work. They don't even work with this, do they? Uh, oh, they don't work with it because they only work with fractors and decoders and right. killers. Yep. So this can only work with, you know, the... Only Ghost Runner and Cloak. Yep. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's a bit questionable. I feel like what you'd be doing with Divey is kind of what you'd be doing... Well, in general based on like the phases of the game. So, you know, you're shaper, so you probably run so, um, self-modifying code. So start of the game, they have one layer of ice. You're probably better off going and grabbing the single breaker, like grabbing the refractor, grabbing the lady, because you're probably playing lady, I guess, and um, grabbing the, er, the dagger or switchblade, if you run that. 
So, I mean, one layer of ice, you're probably better off just grabbing that because it's more efficient. Um, mm -hmm. When they get to that mid part of the game where there's, you know, roughly two pieces of ice on each server, I can maybe see Divey coming out where you have now the one breaker you initially got and Divey is supplemented as sort of the every breaker while you're taking the time. But again, that's problematic. Why would I do that if I could just go grab the other breaker and I'm going to be drawing and it's just more efficient that way? Um, it just doesn't seem to really fit. Maybe, maybe if you went like all in on like the old strategy we saw with admins, where you would have three admin, uh, one at zero, one at two, one at four, and then you would have use data suckers as sort of the supplemental support to modify the strength as needed. I could see that making Divey a little better. But even then, the problem there is that to break anything, you need so many stealth credits that you can't use from. Yeah, it's just so it's just so bad. Like two stealth credits is just so much, and the thought that you know. It, in order for that to be, like, the fact that you break all subroutines, you'd think is a benefit. But in order for that to be better than just paying one normal credit to break a subroutine, the ice needs to have more than two subroutines. And that's discounting the fact that you're spending stealth credits, which are more, which are rarer. Um, and the number of ice that has more than two subroutines in the game is not enough, I don't think, to justify playing No, I think in every case where I could see myself playing Divey, I just play Dagger and go get it. Yeah. All right, uh, another day, another paycheck is the next card. It's a, the first mini faction card um, that we've come across in this cycle since the last pack when we had the Whalen cards. Uh, and it is a sunny card, cost zero, influence three. This card is not trashed until another current is played or an agenda is scored. Whenever you steal an agenda, force the corp to trace zero. If unsuccessful, the runner gains credits equal to the number of agenda points in both players' score areas. Polis, what do you think? One second, I'm, I'm reading this card again. Hold on one second. Yes, yeah, so there's a lot going on there. So it's a current. It's sitting there in play. Whenever you steal an agenda, so not on scores, you force them to trace zero. If unsuccessful, the runner gains credit equal to the number of agenda points in both player score areas. So it synergizes with itself in that you're, you've already stolen agenda, so presumably you're going to be gaining some credits, uh, but it's only going to trigger a few times in the game because it's only triggering on steals. Yeah, I do not know... If this is the card Sunny needs, but it's the card she deserves. Um, okay, so Sunny decks are generally going to run a heavy amount of Link. So even though it's a trace zero, that usually means so. Let's yeah, let's assume that the the ability is always going right, to fire. Ability is always going to fire. Um, let's see. So best case scenario, best case scenario, you haven't won the game. The corp could be at six, and you could be with that new agenda scored. You could be at six, so you would gain twelve credits immediately. Um, worst case scenario, you gain one at a trace. So, and the best case possible for this card, you could gain twelve credits, but you would have to play a betting game with the corp first to gain those twelve credits. Oh, but but the trace is always in the runner's favor in this instance. Right. If you've got higher link, because you're making the corp bid credits That's first. That's true. That is true. Hmm. So it, it doesn't sound that bad when you put it that way. I mean, other than the inherent current drawback, it being that they can obviously just score and this goes away. If you play it early in the game and you steal a couple of agendas, it could potentially give you the gas to keep going, and it, it costs zero. Yeah. Um, so it's not too much of an impost on your tempo. And if you play it later in the game, 
as is more likely, I think, in Sunny, given that Sunny decks tend to be a bit slower, and you're more likely to be starting to score agendas once the Corp has already maybe scored one or two, uh, it then is a bit more impactful. But do you have the time to spend a click playing this on those crucial turns when you're already starting to get behind? I don't know. What do you think, Wolfie? Um, well, firstly, I would say that this card's three influence, which means it's very unlikely to see play outside of Sunny. And I haven't seen a Sunny deck for a very long time, so I don't even know, honestly, what sort of effects those kind of decks are after to become good. But I would say maybe this card is similar to Freedom from Equality. Freedom through through Equality, equality. in the sense that you play it and you get some... You kind of have to hope that it triggers before it can die from the natural current ability. Um, and they both have advantages and disadvantages. The advantage to this is that it can trigger multiple times, and it can potentially give you a far greater benefit in that case. But the benefit to freedom through equality is that one point can easily be the difference between winning and losing, whereas in lots of situations where even when you have this card, the credits might not be the issue that stops you from either scoring seven points or stopping the corp from scoring seven points before you can and so i would say that most of the time freedom if you were trying to do the wait for a long wait for a while and then hammer a server with multi-access that you can be fairly sure to score agendas out of that freedom through equality would be better because it actually allows you to push your advantage of having lots of resources into points which you need at that late stage in the game hmm Interesting. Uh, the second last card, the first neutral card, is the 2014 world champion Dan Dargenio's uh, invitational card, uh, or the card he designed, I should say. And it's called Deuces Wild. It is, or Deuces Wild. It is an event, cost two, influence one, resolve two of the following in any order gain three credits, draw two cards, remove one tag or expose one piece of ice, then make a run. Wilfie, what do you think of these abilities, and how do you sort of rank them in terms of which ones you think you would trigger most if you were playing Deuces Wild? Um, First, I would say that you'd probably have to watch out for the tricky two, but not if you had this card, because you could expose it and then run somewhere else. Yeah. Don't have to watch out for that tricky two anymore. (laughs) Isn't that exciting? It's very exciting. Um, But in terms of the effects, I would say... If you're going to use it to gain three and draw two cards, that's not the primary benefit of the card, I think. I think the most powerful thing to do is to be able to draw cards and then make a run. I think the fourth ability is definitely the best because it's the only ability that would, you would uh, that would draw you to put this card in your deck. Like, like you would almost pay two just for that ability. Uh, yeah, maybe. It's kind of, isn't there like a card that does that? You definitely pay minus one for that ability yeah like you would pay a card for that ability and a click yeah yeah um but yeah that ability is definitely the strongest and it's on that ability that this card lives and dies i think so the that that's what makes it actually strong instead of just marginally efficient the fact that you get to do that and so what sort of because if you're drawing if you're drawing two cards and removing a tag then you're effectively drawing one card. Yeah, or if you're 
gaining three yeah. credits and removing yeah. a tag, you're effectively gaining one credit. Yeah, in terms of raw resources. Yeah, you get to convert some resources into another resource, but no, none of those abilities are really efficient enough to make this card good. But no. if you... The sort of decks that want to... So for it to be good, you want to kind of take advantage of the ability to expose pieces of ice, which means that you're probably a bit slower and you're trying to make sure that you have the right breaker for the piece of ice that you want, but you also want to make a run on like a server which you can get into. So I think kind of it's good in... It makes sense in slower decks where you want to make sure that you can get into their remote if they try and score out of it, but also you want to be able to pressure centrals. So I think something like SMC or I guess, or, or Faust I suppose, are kind of the natural pairs to this because they kind of make sure oh, that you can run effectively with it, but also that the exposing and ice will be relevant. And so it's in those kind of slower decks where you want to not necessarily run their remote and potentially have to deal with the effects of their ice, but know what their ice is on their remote so that you can lock it down, that this card is going to be best. And it it's also worth noting that the expose doesn't have to be on the server that you make the run on, so you can expose the ice on the remote and hit R and D. Yeah, exactly. Places. That's what I was yeah. thinking. Yeah, because yeah. it's not it doesn't make really much sense to expose a piece of ice and then have to go plant uh, face planting into it, regardless. Um. Yeah. What do you think, Hollis? Um. It, they're definitely. I, what I like the most about the cards, what you guys have already highlighted, it it's very flexible. So. While there is an immediate like understanding of what options are probably the best most of the time, like you said, the I think the fourth ability is, is the go-to, and then maybe probably the draw two cards is the more common one that you'll see next. There's something very unique about these other abilities that could be used depending on a matchup. Most most specifically, the remove the one tag. Do you think Do you think many people will use the tap all of your opponent's permanence ability? Um, I'm pretty sure everyone is going to use Finx's Revelation and basically gain X life and draw them. <laughs> um, so I, I, I feel like the ability to, like, for example, with Deuce's Wild, you're, you're playing it in whatever deck. It, I mean, really, the faction in my case, in this case, in this scenario, would be irrelevant, but they have something like Gutenberg on R&D. The ability to say, all right, uh, I expose one piece of ice, which will be on HQ or the remote. I make a run on R&D. I, oh, it's a Gutenberg. You know what? I'll just take the tag right now take the tag right now and I'll proceed and I access run is over and now the next part of the card ability is remove the one tag I've basically taken wait is that how it works do we know that that's how it works I thought you had to pick it's in the following in, in any order. order yeah so you you expose one piece of ice expose piece of ice make the run and yeah. then remove a tag oh and so, okay sweet so with that being the case you know in that scenario as an example I basically I've already paid two credits for the event so I'm at a loss there but the benefit is is I've converted I've got information, I've made the run, and then without spending an additional click, I've removed the tag that I would remove anyway from the Gutenberg, whereas normally I would have had to break it with like a David or something like that. Um, so the, the benefit there is that it kind of turned my uh, economy, it, it's, it's taken two actions that I was probably going to take given the board state uh, into like one action, which is beneficial. And, and then there's the added, the added opportunity cost where if you, if you are playing the kind of deck where you're running a card like prepaid, and that already taxes you an influence, of course. Um, but let's say you wanted to bring back prepaid and try to, you know, using cards like that, a card like Deuces Wild gets even better because it's additionally going to get that discount. If Deuces Wild costs zero, 
this car all of a sudden gains a pretty large value. If you look at the way Dirty Laundry right now without prepaid basically says make a run, gain three credits. At you know um, when it's all said and done, um, combine that with prepaid voice pad. Now you have Deuces Wild is expose on piece of ice, make a run, gain three credits, or draw two cards, and it costs zero. Combined with Dirty Laundry or Lucky Finds or any number of cards like that. Excellent. The last card on the runner side of this pack is Injection Attack. It is an event run, cost one, influence zero, a zero cost neutral card. Never thought I'd see the day. Make a run and choose an icebreaker. That icebreaker has plus two strength for the remainder of this run. Hollis, what do you think? Um, earlier I mentioned uh, that, you know, when looking at Null, it was pretty clear that, you know, you get to trash that car to make another icebreaker really strong. I feel like, or really strong, a plus two strength. I feel like this is kind of meant to be used in the same vein, maybe a, as like a 2X um, or some kind of include with Null. It's sort of strange to have this and Null in the same pack, though, isn't it? I mean, Null works on Encounter with the ice, which means that you're there and you've got the maximum information when you're choosing to use your ability. Whereas this is a one-off effect on an event where you have to choose the icebreaker before the run so it's similar to Net Ready Eyes. So you're probably only going to be using it on Resda. Right. I, it, yeah, I think, I think you're definitely right on that one. I think that the times you'll use Injection Attack are, are going to when you're going to be when you're, you pretty much know the ice composition on the server, and you know that you know, there's that Ravana there that is that five-strength code gate. And so what you'll do is, is you'll, um, you know, you'll play this, you'll give the bonus to Yogg, for example, to break it for free, and then you'll utilize Null's ability for the Mimic or for the Corroder just to get added strength. And Null will, of course, convert, mm. you know, a card into a strength boost compared to just using your credits. Um, the other benefit is that this helps cards like Yogg get past things like Lotus Field, which can't be lowered. Um, mm-hmm. But in general, I think that um, this card, though I, I very much like it, and uh, if it were to combo maybe with Null, in general, I don't think the card is very powerful outside of Anarch Pixies. I don't think... Um, there's really a great reason to run it outside of having those as almost your exclusive breakers um, because generally your economy engine is going to be able to ramp you up pretty good um, so that you really don't need to depend on a card like this. The biggest benefit is that it does mm. trigger a run in addition to giving you the strength, so it's not so bad. Hmm. Uh, and obviously the reason you're mentioning the fixie breakers there is that they can't be pumped themselves. I mean, the, the the ability and the efficiency of this card certainly isn't as good when you've got an, a breaker that costs one to pump anyway. But if you've got breakers that can't be pumped, then obviously having an ability like this is a bit better. Um, Wilfie, what do you think? One sec, there's a dead duo. Oh my god. He's playing oh, Pokemon that's Go. Fine. Oh my god. Surely, surely it's not worth stopping us for a do-duo. I mean, come on. <laughs> I'm very, I'm very, uh, very unskilled Pokemon trainer. I still need to get to level five and, like, pick my team. What team are you oh guys my. on? You're just like one of the trainers in the Viridian Forest or something. Yeah, I like, I like shorts. They're comfy and easy to wear, and they have like yeah. a Weedle or whatever. Yeah. And, yeah. By the way, I'm Team Instinct. Which yellow. one's that? Team Yellow. Blue? Yellow. Uh, I was planning to be yellow as well, but there's been a schism amongst my... Yeah. Anyway, uh, enough oh, about yeah, sure, other sure. games. In, <laughs> yeah. Enough about other games is that <laughs> we're all about Netrunner on this podcast. <laughs> yes. Um, okay, Injection Attack... I think is basically all the things you said were right in the sense that it kind of does a similar thing to Null but also doesn't really have the benefits that Null has which is that 
you don't necessarily need to spend the card if it's not going to be useful during that run. So you kind of have, have to spend your resource now before knowing whether it's going to be good. And that is kind of the net ready eyes drawback, except net ready eyes, you know, you can do it every run. So you can presumably after enough runs, you can work out what uh, icebreaker you're going to pump on each run. And that's going to actually give you a benefit. The idea of playing this card and potentially, depending on the opponent's, what ice, the ice composition of the server is, potentially not getting any benefit is really doesn't sit well with me. Cool. And I think that brings us to the end of the runner side of 23 seconds. We'll be back next week with the corp side, a whole lot more hard hitting cards to come. Uh, we hope that you've enjoyed this week's episode, despite the absence of our favorite Lupine fellow, the Big Bad Wolf. Uh, he will be back next week to take us through the corp side. Um, until then, I've been Jesse Marshall. Uh, we've been The Winning Agenda. And you can check us out on Facebook at The Winning Agenda, on Twitter at Winning Agenda, um, or you can hit us up on Reddit or any other of the places that we uh, post our episode. We look forward to hearing from you. And until next week, have a great night. See you, everyone. Thanks for listening. And not only can you use it to break through ice that you can't get through with other ice, with uh, not only can you use it to break through icebreakers. Uh. Can someone get Wilfie some oil? <laughs>